0: Acts chapter 16, and um, you will recognize that this is the beginning of the second missionary trip of the Apostle Paul. On his first trip, he had Barnabas. On his second trip, he chose a man by the name of Silas to travel with him. Uh, He and Barnabas had a little uh, uh, problem with each other. by the way, they didn't spend the rest of their life criticizing each other, amen? Uh, One of them went one way and the other went the other way. That's where Independent Baptist started, amen? Okay? You go your way, I go my way, okay? And uh, so he chose Silas. And in in verse 1, they they meet a young man by the name of Timothy and they they add him to their team. And a little bit later on, they'll, they'll have another team member and his name is Luke. And by the way, he's the one that was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write the book of Acts and so forth. Uh, And they were fully intending uh, to go again to Asia, okay? They had been there on their first missionary trip and they had fully intended to go back and they were visiting churches as they went and so forth. And uh, then the Bible says in verse 6, now when they had gone throughout Pergia and the regions of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing through Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared unto Paul in the night, and there was a man of Macedonia, And prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision. And this is the verse, the words we want to look at tonight, today, okay. And after he had seen the vision, immediately he endeavored to go into Macedonia. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us and that's when uh, Luke became a part of the team he's writing so he includes himself had called us for to preach the gospel unto them let's pray dear Lord I thank you for West Coast Baptist College I thank you dear Lord for Lancaster Baptist Church I thank you for Dr. Chapel that many years ago got a burden to train leaders for reaching the world with the message of salvation. And I thank you, dear Lord, for what you're doing here. Just to be a little part of it is a great, great, wonderful experience. Now, Lord, I pray that you would anoint my mind this morning so I could think right. I pray you would anoint my lips, my tongue, that I could speak right. And I pray that you would anoint the ears and the heart of the people today, that they would listen, and they would be obedient to you. And Lord, whatever you accomplish, not only today, but any time in our lives, we'll be more than thankful just to bend our knees and bow our heads and give you all the glory because you deserve it, and we'll give it to you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. While pastoring a church in Providence, Kentucky, I wrote an article on missions that was published in the Western Recorder, and that was the state paper for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. The paper was read not only by most of the Southern Baptists of Kentucky, but was sent to many who were serving around the world who had been trained at Southern Seminary in Louisville. A few weeks after the article was published I received a letter from Japan it was from a man by the name of Donald Mobley and Donald Mobley was a missionary serving in Akita prefecture of Japan and if you will recall that's where the earthquake and the tsunami and so forth hit a few years ago a devastating thing but the letter read like this dear brother Sisk I read with much interest your article in the Western Recorder. I don't know anything about you. I don't know your age. I don't know your educational background. However, as I read the article, I thought this man has a heart for missions. Brother says, my wife and I are the only missionaries in Akita, Japan. There are over 3 million people in this prefecture. And then he ended his letter with a very simple question. What would keep you from coming to Japan? And I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky, the Second Baptist Church. There was a First Baptist Church. There was a Victory Baptist Church. There was a General Baptist Church. There was a Methodist Church. There was a a Pentecostal Church. Um, I mean, you know, you, you name it. And there was 3,000 people. And you get a letter from somebody. is preaching in an area where he and his wife are the only missionaries. And there are 3 million people. I suppose I was a little bit dumb, okay? And I read that letter to my church on Wednesday night. And I said, hey, folks, pray for me. A few weeks after that, I attended an evangelistic conference in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, the speaker on Monday night was a man by the name of Dr. Baker Cawthon. And Dr. Cawthon was the executive director of the Foreign Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And that night, he preached a powerful message on the subject. The Untold Millions. As I listened to Dr. Baker that night, I began to think of ways that I could encourage my church and other churches to give more for missions. But by the time the message was over, I knew that God was speaking to my heart, not about giving more to missions, but about going to the untold millions the fact that there were millions, millions of people who had never one time in all of their life heard a gospel message. That night I went back to my room, the Brown Hotel at Louisville, and I was rooming with another preacher by the name of Archie Oliver. And when Brother Oliver went to sleep, he said, well, Brother Sis, how do you know he was asleep? It's very easy. Every Baptist preacher I've ever roomed with snored, okay? And he was snoring big time, okay? And I knew he was asleep. I got my Bible off of the table next to me and went in the bathroom and shut the door. And that room and that night in that bathroom in the Brown Hotel, I literally fell on my face before God and promised God that if he would open the doors and show me how I could go, that I'd go to Japan as a missionary. By the way, it's amazing how God opened doors. Uh, I, I don't have time to tell you, but in essence, uh, just just three years after that, nearly to the date, three years after that, uh, Virginia, Renee, Tim, and myself We're on a plane going to Japan. Donald Mobley was my man of Macedonia. As we read the passage this morning, we recognize that obviously the Apostle Paul spent time every day talking to God. Now, we don't know how exactly God spoke to him, how he led him and so forth. But the thing that I want to get across is this, that Paul, even though he was already a missionary, that he was sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. He was listening to God. And as I sat here and listened to messages and testimonies of missionaries and walk through the north building and see all of the missionaries there and and all of the things that is happening. I could not help but think, would it not be wonderful if every one of us would stop every day and listen and be sure that we are where God wants us to be and that we're doing right now what God wants us to do. I think if we would stop and listen this morning, that we could hear somebody say, come over into Romania and help us. Come over into Nepal and help us. Come over into Honduras and help us. Come over into Mexico and help us. Come over into Hawaii and help us. Come over to the military ministry and help us. Come over and help us. There are countless millions all around the world that was just like this man in the vision that Paul had in Macedonia. We've never heard the gospel in Asia. You've been there. They've heard. We've never heard. Come over into Macedonia and help us. If we're not careful we'll settle for a second best in our life. And some of you have your mind so set on doing what you want to do that you're not about to listen to the Holy Spirit of God to tell you what he wants you to do. Come over into New Guinea and help us. Come over into Russia and help us. Come over to Ukraine and help us. Come over into the Middle East and help us. Oh yes, we're Muslims, yes, but we don't know the truth. We don't know the gospel. We have not had churches like yours. Come over and help us. For many years, I looked at this text and refused to use it as a call to missions. Since in reality, Paul was already a missionary. <laughs> In Acts chapter 13, it says of the people there as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. In other words, God had already called Paul as a missionary and he'd already been on a mission trip, but he was sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God And when God said to him through the Holy Spirit, through a vision, I want you to go to Macedonia. I want you to notice what Paul did. Look again at verse 10, if you would. And after he had seen the vision. The man from Macedonia come over into Macedonia and help us. And after He had seen the vision. Notice the first word. Immediately we endeavored to go. Immediately. In other words, you know what I'm saying? When Paul realized, hey, I wanted to go to Asia. That was where I wanted to go. Uh, Then I decided, okay, I'll go uh, to Pithynia. And the Holy Spirit of God, no, no, no. That's not where I want you. And then he's waiting and wondering what's happening And in a dream, he sees the man from Macedonia come over into Macedonia and help us. And immediately, he did not procrastinate. In other words, immediately, he began to make plans to go into Macedonia where God wanted him to go. I love Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatsoever thy hands find to do, do it. By the way, the emphasis is, do it now. Do it now. In other words, when God speaks to your heart about doing something, then from that time on, determined by the grace of God, immediately I'm going to begin to do what God wants me to do. You say, do you mean if I'm called to Japan today, if I'm called to Nepal today? And I'm to quit West Coast Baptist calling and go, no, no. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying immediately you ought to begin to do something about it. Uh, I, I don't know his name. I should have gotten his name. But a young man sat beside me last night. And uh, after the service is over, he handed me a book. He said, have you ever seen this book? It, it was. It was a book about Japanese kanji, the writing of the Japanese people. And I said, have you been called to Japan? He said, yeah. You know what he's doing? He's already trying to study the language. In other words, he says, hey, I mean this. I'm serious about this. Immediately began. By the way, to fail to plan is to plan to fail. If God has called you to do something, if God has spoken to your heart about a country, about a field, about something that he wants you to do, then we should begin immediately to do whatever God wants us to do. I believe from that time on, Paul began to burn some bridges behind him. Oh, yeah, I planned to go to Asia, but that's not what God wanted. And so he burned some bridges. We went to Japan in 1964, 1965, I'm sorry. About the same time, a friend of mine went to Okinawa. He was a businessman. He said he'd been called a mission. Uh, he didn't even have to do deputation. He had lots of money. He had a brand-new house. He didn't sell it. He didn't rent it out. He just locked it up, had somebody take care of it. Put nearly a brand-new car in the garage. And uh, he got to Okinawa, and he stayed about six months. And he left Okinawa and went back home. Why? He didn't burn any bridges. I mean, you know. By the way, when we went to Japan, we did not have an option of coming back home. We sold everything we had to get enough money to go to Japan. And so when we got there, it didn't matter what happened. We didn't have anything to get back home. And by the way, that ocean is a big ocean to swim, amen? (laughs) He didn't burn any bridges. By the way, it'd be a good idea that when God begins to deal with my heart about going to a certain country, a certain place, to doing a certain thing, it'd be a good idea if I were to just forget about all the plans I had. He refused to look back. Everybody ought to read the book, Borden of Yale. Every, every student here ought to make it a point to somehow get a hold of that book. You can get it online, whatever, but read it. It's one of the most amazing stories in the history of missions. Now, bring it to you very simply. William Borden was born in Chicago, Illinois, 1887. Very rich family, the Borden family, Borden Dairy Company, one of the largest dairy companies in the whole world. Uh, their, their their motto or something. They had they had a cow by the name of Elsie. Uh, none of you are old enough to remember that, but Elsie the cow. Okay, <laughs> that was the Borden. You you remember it by the gate. And uh, so he was a very wealthy young. From the time he said his mother got saved. And his mother began to take him to church, and he got saved. They sent him off to boarding school, and uh, after his high school graduation, when he was 17 years old, his family gave him a trip around the world. I mean, literally around the world. Uh, a man by the name of Walter Erdmann, a missionary, traveled with him. And as they traveled together, <clears throat> for the first time in all of his life, uh, William Borden began to see all of the needs around the world. He came upon a group of people in China, some 10 million Muslims in China, living in total heathenism. In other words, he, he could not get away from the fact that there were people all over the world that had never one time heard the gospel message. And while he was on that trip, He committed his life to be a missionary. He um, wrote in his Bible two words no reserve. No reserve. He came back to Yale, and by the way, even though he was a millionaire, had all kinds of money, he spent most of his time at night in rescue missions and things of that nature he literally transformed Yale University he and one other fellow began to pray every Friday morning by the end of his freshman year there were 150 people gathered together for that meeting they would read the Bible and then pray for revival by the end of his senior year 1,000 of the 1,300 students at Yale University gathered every Friday for Bible reading and prayer and it caused a revival and by the way one of the great missionary movements of the world, student missionary movement. When he graduated from Yale, he realized he needed more education. He went to Princeton University. By the way, isn't it amazing? Yale University, Princeton University, in those days were conservative Christian schools established for the purpose of educating people so they could reach the world with the gospel message. I went to Yale a few days ago. You'd never believe they knew a Christian. After he graduated from school, his father and others knew by this time he's going to recognize that he had wasted his life trying to be a missionary. And they did everything they could to get him to stay here in America. They offered him to be the president of the and Dairy Company. More than a million dollars. And at that time, he wrote in his book two more words no retreat. You know what he's saying? No, no, I'm not going to turn back. I know what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it. All the money in the world will not keep me in America. God wants me to be a missionary. In 1940, Graduated, Princeton. And he was going to China to reach those Muslim people. But he wanted to learn the Arabic language, so he went to Egypt. And he'd been there only a few months. He contacted spinal meningitis. And he died. He left over $2 million to mission organization. Now, imagine this. A Yale, a Princeton graduate, but he insisted it has to go to people that believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God, that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, to believe that there is a real heaven and a real hell. By the way, he was a fundamentalist, amen? Amen. He left that will and, of course, The people in America got that. But his mother also got his Bible. And he had written, no reserve, and he had a date out when he made that commitment. He had another two words, no retreat, and he had the date when he'd made that. And just a few days before he died, he wrote the words, no regret." No, you say, well, what a waste. Five young men trying to reach the Aqua Indians, all martyred in one day. Young men, talented young men, great young men. Many people thought, what a waste. Joe and Tana Collins, missionaries in Nepal, had to leave the country to, get their visas renewed, went to Bangkok. On the way back from Bangkok to Nepal, their plane crashed into the Himalayan mountains, killing 115 people, including Joe and Tana Collins and their five children. What a waste. Chuck and Laura Matthew, missionaries in Brazil, young people, godly people, Coming back from a meeting one night, a big bus hit them, and Chuck and Laura were killed. Their three children all injured badly. By the way, two of their children are back in Brazil as missionaries tonight. Because of the missionary, because of the testimony of William Borden, there are thousands of missionaries all around the world. Because of the stories of those five young men that lost their life trying to reach the Aqua Indians. There are people all over the world tonight preaching the gospel. Probably be a good idea sometimes to write in our Bible when God speaks to our heart. I know this is what God wants me to do. There's no reserve. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. If I die, that's fine. And by the way, I believe in the depth of my heart that we are immortal until God gets finished with us. And when He gets finished with us, it's going to be a whole lot better anyway. Amen. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what people try to get you to do. Notice the word immediately. Notice the word we endeavored. We endeavored. In other words, it was not a passive willingness. Uh, He was honest in his effort. By the grace of God, we are going to do this. Now, you can be sure. You can mark it down, okay? If you determine by the grace of God, this is what God wants me to do, I'm going to do it, then you can be sure that the devil is going to tempt you to get away from that. By the way, not only that, you can be sure that you're going to have some trials. Temptations to do wrong come from the devil. Trials to strengthen us comes from God. And there are going to be some trials. After we had committed our lives to be missionaries uh, to Japan, I remember Richard Griffin brought me a Japanese Bible. And I looked at that Japanese Bible, and all I could think of was there's nothing in here that looks like a word. It looks like the chickens have been out in a muddy field, got their feet muddy, and walked on paper and they put all those papers together. And honestly, I looked at that and all I could think about was, Lord, I'm from Kentucky. We have a very difficult time with English. And you expect me to read a learn a language like that? And so when I went to Japan, I wasn't fearful of starving. I wasn't fearful of leaving all my wealth. We didn't have anything, okay? We sold it all. But I was petrified to think I had to learn Japanese and after I'd been in language school about three months all of a sudden one day I realized all of my fears are justified (laughs) I mean it was just as difficult as I ever dreamed it would be I I wish I had time to tell you about my first sermon in Japanese It, it was the biggest mess you have ever heard in your life Christian prayed after I tried to preach that night. Dear Lord, we love Brother Sis, but we didn't understand anything he said. (laughs) Now, that's funny in 1965, but it wasn't funny. It's funny in 2017, but it wasn't funny in 1965. All kind of thing. A mission director from AMI, African Inland Mission, said to me one day, hey, Donna, you don't appear to be very good in linguistics, so probably you ought to go to an English-speaking country. And I said, well, that's a good idea. But that's not where God wants me to go. They endeavored. In other words, by the grace of God, we're going to do it. And then it says, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called them. I tell you, the greatest place in the whole world It's just to be exactly where you know God wants you to be. I mean, there's nothing like that. Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called them. Hey, don't let the devil keep you from being exactly where God wants you to be. And trials will come and temptations will come. But like the Apostle Paul, endeavor... And then assuredly gathering that the Lord. In other words, it was not just an emotional experience. And even though we have our emotional people, and God uses our emotions, it was a conclusion based upon facts. For instance, here's the facts: two doors had been closed, Asia and Bithynia. There were people who had never heard the gospel. The people who had never heard the gospel, not one time in Europe. And Paul could stop and think, I know what they need. I have what they need. I am able to take the person, Jesus Christ, to them. We have the means. We have the methods. I mean, it was a a assuredly gathering that the Lord had called them. And he said, okay, there's people over here that need the Lord. We have the message. One way or another, we've got to get to them. We must get to them. Never forget in Whitbank, South Africa, in a mission conference, I met an elderly man, and I don't know why he was attracted to me, (laughs) okay, but it hadn't been very long ago, and... so two elderly men got together. He was from England, and we, we just talked every night at the conference. One night before the we went home, he and I were talking, and he handed me a piece of paper, and I put it in my pocket. When I got home, I looked at it. It was a note from him. And he wrote on it, and he said, Brother says, if we could get to heaven in an automobile, I'd like you to be the driver. He said, you know how to get to heaven and you know how to tell people to get there. And I never will forget looking at that piece of paper and thinking, you're right. I know how to get to heaven. And I know how to tell people to get there. But I'm really doing all that I can to tell as many as I can how to get to heaven assuredly gathering that the Lord had called them. The multitudes are out there. They've never heard many of them. We know how to get to heaven. Are we going to keep that message from them? And then the last part of that verse says this, to preach the gospel to them. Is that a great privilege or not? To preach the gospel to them. And guess what? They got over into Macedonia first place and went to Philippi and they began to preach the gospel and a rich woman got saved and helped them out, okay? And a little bit after that, a demon-possessed girl got saved and they got put in jail and then they preached the gospel to the jailer and the jailer and all of his household got saved and a great church was started at Philippi. You know why? They had the privilege of preaching the gospel. The gospel, the good news. How that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture. That's good news. He who knew no sin became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin, Jesus, the Son of God, became sin for me. He paid my sin debt. That's good news. He was buried to take away our sin. Thank God. The sins are gone forever. That's good news. They'll never be brought to us again. That's good news. And that he rose again. That's good news. He is a living Savior. And think about it. We have the great opportunity to preach this glorious gospel to the untold millions of the world Wouldn't it be great tonight if all of us would just stop and listen? Come over. I don't know where it is. It may be Japan. It may be Honduras. It may be Korea. It may be the Philippines. It may be Lancaster. But, hey, we've got the good news. We know how to get to heaven. And we know how to tell people to get there. Let's do it.